In five years from now, we want to have probably around four to 500 investment advisors that work for the firm, and we want to manage $25 billion. Welcome to Funds That Won, where we dive into some of the world's most renowned investment funds. We'll interview investment managers across the alternative landscape and learn how they built their million and even billion dollar asset management empires. We'll explore teams, structures, strategies, and best practices in launching and running alternative investment funds. Bryce, great to have you in, on, in today. Why don't you start off by just giving me the elevator pitch on Summit Global? Sure. Appreciate being here, Lincoln. Thanks for uh, having me out. So uh, Summit Global Investments, uh, we are a registered investment advisory firm uh, here in Utah. Uh, we manage about $2 billion of clients' assets across the variety of different funds and separately managed accounts. And um, you kind of name it from a fund structure. I think we have it in-house and uh, but it's great. We work with a number of advisors around the country and have our own team of advisors as well that work with us. Excellent. Love it. And now, are you a co-founder of the firm? I am. So my partner and I, we co-founded the firm together in uh, 2010, October 2010. So we're coming up on 13 years. Tell me about how it started. So um, back in, we really started talking about this in 2007, 2008, when we think back to when the markets were falling apart. Um, Lehman Brothers is going, is going down. And uh, my partner, Dave Harden, uh, I've known him for, goodness, 30 years now. And I'll never forget, we were up uh, in Midway in Utah, and we were sitting on the kitchen table at my house up there. And uh, Dave was telling me about this wonderful idea he had about how he invests. And uh, as you know, as you get into um, this business for a while, you kind of hear it all, you know, about, oh, I'm going to do this type of investment strategy or, you know, here's our thesis on the markets or the private markets. And so uh, it was actually quite interesting. I, I'd heard a lot of pitches at that point. At that point, I was actually working for the world's, uh, the world's, India's largest investment banking firm. Oh, cool. And so I was heading up their West Coast operations in California at the time. And so Dave's telling me about what he does and how he looks at the markets and he invests. And I actually said, well, that actually is different. Um, you know, he was taking uh, an approach that really decided to, instead of looking for the growth in the market or the volatility in the market, he was taking the opposite approach. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of research and academia that's been done around this type of process. And so as he kind of talked more about it, I said, oh, you might be onto something here you know, let's keep talking. And so that was kind of the, the thesis of starting the company. And then throughout 2008, you know, things started to fall apart more and more in the marketplace, um, not just the public markets, but private markets, housing, mm -hmm. everything else. And so we kind of kept talking. And, and one, of, uh, one of his catalysts was um, at the time, the group he was working for, he wasn't able to manage individuals monies at that time and his father had just retired um, and his father was watching his retirement kind of you know slowly erode in the marketplace and so uh dave's father came to him and said hey look will you please manage my money and dave said well i can't manage your money but let me just kind of look at the marketplace and see what i can do for you to kind of put together you know some funds you can put in there that hopefully will be you know safer 
-hmm. given the market or environment we're in. And we never knew how bad it was going to get until it got as bad as it did. And so, um, you know, about three months later, uh, his father came back to him and said, if you can't manage my money, can I come work for you? Because that's how bad it was getting. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that was kind of a light bulb for, for Dave and his head to go off saying, you know, here I have all this experience. I have this, you know, ability to manage money in these marketplaces, which he was actually doing just fine at that point in time in the markets, given the way he managed. He's like, if I can't even manage my own family's money and help them out, then maybe I need to rethink what I'm doing. And so that was kind of his why. And uh, I had other reasons, you know, to get going mm-hmm. and doing something different. And so that was kind of the thesis of why we started the firm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you've got an array of products and services, right? Uh, you know, different, you know, different uh, asset strategies and whatnot. Why don't you walk me through kind of your 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 product stack a little bit of, of what you guys do, what you guys offer at, you know, Summit Global? Sure. So um, we really look at uh, kind of a client's portfolio from a very holistic approach in the sense of um, how can we help you from a macro picture or even down to a micro, meaning maybe there's something you just don't have that you that you need and you probably don't even know you need it because you don't even know what's out there. Um, so we do, um, we manage assets in um, kind of every box, if you can kind of think of a, like a Morningstar type box, you mm-hmm. know, large cap, small cap, uh, mid cap, um, you know, all the different equity kind of allocations. And then also across to fixed income, um, which, you know, fixed income is a much bigger market than even the public equity markets are. And so, um, you know, we have strategies that we run within fixed income. We also spend a lot of time in alternatives, Hmm. um, just given the massive sides of that marketplace and given the structure that has come out over the years. And really 2008 really helped push into the private space, um, private credit and private credit type funds. And uh, those run, those are becoming a bigger and bigger part of kind of the alternative space that we look at as a firm. So as a firm, we, we have our own funds that we manage um, we have a, a large investment team of professionals that manage our different funds, but we also work with a lot of other outside money managers that have specialties that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, depending upon what a client's needs are from an institutional investor that will have a very um, specific need, they'll need to have a large cap growth strategy because that's the mandate that, they, that they're looking for um, to working with individuals that just, you know, need to understand what they're going to have someday when they retire and how they're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so these are managed primarily, you've got some public funds, right? Through ETFs or mutual funds, right? Correct. Um, and then do you guys do like separately managed accounts as well for advisory services or, you know, let's get into the nuts and bolts of how this business works. Sure. So, um, yeah, the way that, the way that we work with our clients is a number of ways. Uh, we have uh, seven different mutual funds that we that we manage, and so um, we have clients that work with us that we don't even know who they are mm-hmm. because they they will find our fund and they'll put it into their own account um, without any involvement really from us. Yeah, um, which is one of the reasons why we have those type of funds. Uh, obviously, is for the distribution, um, but we also work with um, outside investment advisory companies. And so, um, you know, a lot of investment advisors 
are very good relationship uh, people. They're very good at sitting down with their clients, understanding what their needs are, but they may not have the expertise to put together a portfolio for those clients or especially have to customize portfolios for clients. Mm -hmm. uh, that tends to take up a lot of time and takes a very, you know, kind of a special expertise. And so we work with a lot of other investment advisory companies that are looking for ways to customize portfolios for clients. So we'll help investment advisors do that. Then we also have our own uh, internal team of investment advisors that have their own clients that they work with. And so uh, we'll help customize portfolios for their clients with the different fund offerings that we have internally mixed in with other outside funds based upon you know what those what those clients need specifically so along with those seven uh mutual funds we also have uh two etfs currently in the market uh there's a couple other ones that are uh, being worked on right now that we'll release next year and then we also have our own private internal fund so this is a this is a um five is a sorry 506C? Yeah. Okay. So 506C fund. Um, I get all the terms a little backed up sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a hedge fund that we kind of can go in. It's kind of an all-weather fund. We Clients are looking for a different, you know, type looking, of expo uncorrelated or, you know, different strategy there. Right. That strategy is a little more aggressive in, in oh, what okay. it tries to achieve yeah. um, using options and other derivatives. Excellent. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't run ads on this channel. So if you could really help me out, if this podcast has added any value to you or your business, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. Walk me through your clientele base. Uh, you've got probably a good mix of high net worths, maybe family office money, institutional grade, investors uh, that you're managing services for. I don't know if you know the percentages breakdown uh, of what that looks like? Um, I have a I have a pretty good idea. I could go look at my form ADV filing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which would tell me exactly. Um, but we, we have a number of institutional clients that we mm -hmm. manage very specific mandates for. Yeah. So those are separately managed accounts um, that we're doing one thing for that particular institution. So, um, you know, think of an institution like a, a foundation or endowment a public uh, university with their money, um, a union plan, uh, a government plan, like a pension fund. So we work with, uh, with those type of clients on, on our, these pure SMA strategies. And that makes up probably about 25% of our business overall mm -hmm. um, is the institutional business. And then probably about a good third of the business kind of next in line would be working with outside investment advisors and, and their clients. And so um, we tend to understand greatly who their clients are mm -hmm. when putting together those portfolios and, and how that portfolio mix is going to be for them. Um, and so that's probably a good third of our business. And the remainder of, that, of our business is going to be with our own clientele base. And so that clientele base, as I mentioned, is institutions, but it's also going to be um, corporations other businesses, um, you know, that have maybe pools of money that they have allocated or are looking to allocate. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably about 25% of that is kind of the high net worth space. Um, but interesting enough, we, we do work with, I would say, probably 20% of our business are accounts that are, you know, in the 150 to $200,000 range. 
So oh, wow. not not large, not, not large by certain standards, yeah. but obviously large to those clients, mm-hmm. you know, that have that money. And so, um, and they come more through our investment advisory channels yeah, uh, and putting those in, from that client perspective. But I'd say that's probably 20% of, uh, of our assets as well. Okay. So let's talk about the investment advisory side of the business, because you have this Rolodex of financial advisors, right? That are both in-house and some you've gone out and you've acquired different, you know, financial advisory shops. Yes. Um, I'd love to understand that side of the business a little bit, uh, just for our listeners. And, uh, you know, are they all operating under the same uh, umbrella? Because you're, you're head of operations, right? Yes. At, at the firm. So, I mean, that's got to be an operational nightmare to manage all of these, <laughs> these different teams. But talk to me about the, the, the advisory side of the business. Sure. Um, you know, the, the investment advisory business in the U.S. is very, very fragmented. Yeah. You know, if you would go back 20 years ago, most people were in some type of either bank environment or a wirehouse environment like a UBS or a Merrill Lynch, a Morgan Stanley. And over the years with the really with the way that technology has evolved and with third party custodians like a Schwab or a Fidelity TD Ameritrade, which is now part of Schwab and other kind of entrance into into the investment advisory world, these custodians have platforms that they've built out which have made it um, really uh, a viable business for individual advisors or teams of advisors to create their own companies and start their own companies or their own investment advisory firms. And um, obviously, you know, we have a very heavy related very heavily regulated industry that we're in yeah. um, with FINRA, with SEC and all the different regulatory oversight groups that, you know, that get into our business, which I welcome it um, because it, it keeps people honest. Yeah. Um, but with the, with the evolution of that, um, it's kind of allowed us to, to build these companies and these investment advisory firms um, that are registered with the SEC that use third-party custodians to custody clients' assets at. And so um, as part of that, when Dave and I started our company, um, we really said, okay, we're going to be an investment management firm, meaning we're going we're gonna to have products. Yeah. And we're going to have advisors use those products. Well, having a fund or an investment strategy is wonderful. I think it's paramount to, to what we do. Um, but what we also realized is that we need to be able to distribute that product and yeah. that strategy to, to people. And how do we do that? Well, I mean, I can call people all day long. My partner could call people all day long. Um, but it really takes a track record a lot of times. It takes who do you know? Um, you know, who's going to invest with you? Do they understand how you're investing? And so um, over the years of, the, of being in the industry, we've realized that having distribution has been real key to our success. And so we started forming relationships with outside investment advisory firms or outside independent um, advisors that would work through these different platforms, Schwab, you know, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade. Uh, there's a number of them, Interactive Brokers, Goldman Sachs has their own platform now. Mm-hmm. And so um, as we did that, we began to develop relationships with these advisors. And uh, these advisors would be anywhere from a one-person shop doing it on their own to maybe they were part of a, a company somewhere where they were just uh, you know working at managing a book managing a book their yeah. own their own book that they had developed over the years 
And so over the years, we have uh, developed relationships with a lot of advisors. And as we've grown as a company, um, we rolled out a business model for advisors that wanted to come and, you know, figure out a way to be part of a, a bigger organization, mm -hmm. but within that organization also have the ability to earn or come in with equity in, in a company that, you know, hopefully is growing and, and getting bigger. And so um, over this past year, we've had the, uh, I'll call it the luck, but as you know, there's really not, no such thing as luck, right? It just takes time and yeah. effort. Um, but we've been able to attract to the company a, about 40 new advisors uh, to come work with us, you know, and most of them had joined us um, it, with some type of equity ownership. Oh, fantastic. Uh, you know, based upon the assets that they've, that they've been able to work with. And it's really freeing up. It's been fun to watch um, as their time gets freed up to do more um, of working with their clients and to see them kind of get excited about what they're doing and, you know, to see their clients, quite frankly, be happy with, you know, the opportunity and the different options they have available to them, which maybe they didn't have before. Mm. And so that's been kind of our focus recently and will continue to be our focus because again, it's such a big marketplace out there. Um, I just read this yesterday for every one independent advisory firm that gets merged or acquired or rolls up into another firm, 1.5 new RIAs get established. No. Oh. And so it's there a go. It's a growing industry. I love it. And so you guys started, did you start primarily with, you know, I know you said you wanted to have products, but did you start with the financial advisory business and then bring on products later? Or did you start with products and then build out your advisory business? Sure. So um, from day one, we literally started the company with one investment strategy. So with an investment idea. At the time, it was just a separately managed account because we didn't have a fund structure yet at that point. And so um, within about the first six months um, from my previous connections, we went to a, to a group that helps establish mutual funds. This is called a series trust. Hmm. And this series trust um, was about a $10 billion complex at the time, had about 30 different funds as part of this complex. And so we went in and pitched this group to bring us on as an investment manager to have our own mutual fund. Mind you, at the time we were managing $2 million. Just 2 million? 2 million. Wow. And 2 million is nothing, Yeah. right? I mean, it doesn't keep the lights on. Right. <laughs> or, or anything for that matter. And uh, I'll never forget, we go in and uh, we were told by the, by the secretary um, going into this board meeting, that we had five minutes and we said five minutes and they said, oh, and by the way, anyone here, because there were about four or five other investment management firms that were pitching themselves to this mutual fund board to be brought on, to be, to be able to do a fund with them. And I'll explain a little more about why we wanted to go that route. And so we went in there, we had $2 million under management. We were told that a hundred million was the minimum to be there. And we said, well, we never got that memo. <laughs> and uh, we walked in and uh, an hour later, we, we walked out and we had an agreement. Really? Yeah. There we go. Yes. And so it was kind of like, uh, again, it was, an, it was a very timely idea. It was a different way of looking at the market. It was what we called at the time a low volatility strategy 
which 13 years ago, no one was talking about low volatility. Mm -hmm. um, it's, become, it's become over the years, in the last few years, more of a commodity, yeah. um, just in the way that it's generalized. Uh, but it's still, you know, kind of our flagship fund, and uh, you know, we're really, we're really proud of it. But it was, it was quite daunting to go in there, and when uh, you know, getting hammered by this mutual fund board of you know experts, and uh, but they liked the idea, they saw value in the in the strategy, and uh, you know, now we have nine different funds with that group. Yeah. Wow, that's phenomenal. And now, so you started with two million, and uh, you have what north of two billion, almost, correct? Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Today, that's phenomenal. That's incredible. So, what got you to the point of you know where you felt comfortable starting a new firm, right? Like as you transition, maybe talk a little bit about your how your background led you to the point where you felt comfortable enough to you know jump two feet in. And say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this thing. Sure, that's a, it's a long story, but I'll be quick. Um, I was never comfortable jumping in. Yeah, it was always a very uncomfortable feeling, you know, knowing that you're leaving something um, to go jump into something new. And and in this industry, um, you know, on the registered side, you know, having licenses and things like that, you can really only work with one company at a time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so I left the company I was with at that point in time in uh, 2010. And, you know, my partner, Dave Harden, we just decided we're going to just jump into this thing. And, you know, we did some pre-planning, obviously. Um, we did find some, uh, a few strategic folks that were going to help um, make introductions. Um, you know, they were willing to make introductions. And we just, we set a budget as to what we could really spend. And um, you know, it, it's not, it's not inexpensive to start a registered investment company and mm -hmm. a mutual fund at the same time. Um, it's, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, so do you mind me ask, what was your budget? Our budget was $1 million in the first year. That you were oh, comfortable with spending. Well, we knew we had to spend. Yeah. To get going. We just knew we had to spend it. Wow. Um, and so it was a big commitment. Um. It was a big commitment, but we had we had a couple of people that were willing to chip in if necessary. Um, did you go get some seed money that, that helped support you with that, or did you guys just bootstrap it with the the two of you? Um, so we did get a little bit of funding from a couple of investors that invested into the management company. Yeah, you know that took a little bit of ownership that are still with us today. Yeah, um, but the rest of it was just bootstrapped, and uh, you know we got to get revenue quickly. That's phenomenal. I love that. And so you went out and so you were kind of like, what was that planning phase? Uh, was that like a, six months? Was that a couple of years, you know, that you had kind of like premeditated on, hey, you know, we're going to go start this thing. Yeah. So it was the middle of 2008 when we kind of had our first discussion around the kitchen table. Yeah. Uh, up in Midway. And I know I'll never forget because it was my wife and, and his wife and the four of us sitting at the table and the kids are outside playing. And, uh, you know, we're talking this through in 2008. That's so and so cool. it really took two full years from that point um, to of planning, preparation. One of the things that we did early on was I would have uh, my partner come and do a series of meetings with me and clients or institutions that I knew. Yeah. Because initially that was really our target was institutions. And so 
I'd been in enough meetings over the years with people to understand if there was interest or not in, in an idea, in a concept, you know, in an investment strategy. And the reason we went forward was because after every meeting, I would say, that was a really good meeting. And my partner would say, no, it wasn't. They didn't write us a check. And I say, well, <laughs> it just doesn't really usually work like that. Yeah. You know? And I said, what are they going to write a check to? You know, we don't even have a, we don't have a fund. We don't have a company yet. You know, they're not just going to write a check. Yeah. Um, but the fact is that they say they're interested means they actually are probably interested. Yeah. And so that was probably about 50 meetings we had over maybe a six to nine month period. Yeah. You know, just being in front of potential investors to kind of gauge their, you know, their back and forth, their interest level. And in most of those meetings, the interest level I felt was quite high. Can I just say, I love that. Like you guys put so much thought into it. It was very methodical. You know, you thought through, you gave yourself a budget, you were doing all the bright prep work. I think so many people, well, I mean, you guys were just playing the long game, right? Some people expect to, you know, be managing $2 billion in two years. And it just doesn't work like that, right? It's uh, No, it does not. <laughs> yeah, it, it, somehow it just happened, but it takes time and effort. And I'm sure there's been a lot of ups and downs throughout the journey. But, uh, you know, I just want to say congrats on, you know, your guys' success. That's phenomenal. Well, thank you. It's, uh, yes, it's absolutely, a, it's a grind every day. I mean, it's fun, though. Yeah. You know, it's enjoyable, um, you know, you know, it's fun to be able to do what you enjoy doing mm -hmm. every day and to get compensated for it in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, it's fun to build relationships with people. Um, but it is a lot of hard work and it is a lot of effort and long, long weekends and nights and time away from home. And, you know, um, but it makes it all worth it, really. And, uh, you know, for some reason it hadn't worked out, it'd still be worth it you know, just from the experience that you, that you gain and, uh, and you gather, but, uh, yeah, having a plan in front of kind of, you know, day one, um, took a lot of planning to get to that point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like, let's just do this today. Right. Um, that would have probably been a recipe for, you know, for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Bryce, let me ask you this question. Uh, this podcast is called funds that won. Uh, you know, we, we, I, we interview and identify managers and, you know, patterns in those that are successful. Uh, so I'd love for you to uh, answer the question for me. You know, what makes a fund win? I think it, it takes a number of components to, to win. Uh, number one is how you f structure the fund and how you write the fund agreement and documents. Um, in the public markets, you're uh, fairly constrained into what you can do or what you can't do. And so the parameters of, of putting a fund structure together are fairly templated out. Mm -hmm. um, There's certain things you have to follow. There are certain things you have to do. Um, and so that makes that takes some of the guesswork out of it, but it also, I won't say it hamstrings you, but it, it keeps you in a certain box mm -hmm. and you have to stay there, which is fine as part of that thesis. Um, what we found is it really takes having really great people to execute on those strategies that you're putting the, the fund as together. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you're creating a fund, um, we have a fund that invests in the small cap arena mm -hmm. and that has to play by a very specific set of rules, but it's also really important to win, 
to have people that understand how to manage that type of asset and have experience doing it and understand what it takes to um, you know, generate alpha in that fund and what it means to follow the portfolio and the prospectus you know, to a T in how you manage that fund. A lot of times in our industry, you hear about portfolio drift or style drift. Um, and that means you're kind of drifting away from what you said you were gonna do because you start chasing something over here or over there. And so to win, you really need to have a very strong thesis to begin with mm -hmm. and you have to follow it. And you have to have people that understand how to manage that correctly. And then you, on top of that, you have to have the distribution and kind of the runway to get up to critical mass. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, at the end of the first year of having our first mutual fund, I remember we had $13 million in it over one year. And that was great having $13 million in a fund, but it wasn't even covering the cost. Yeah. <laughs> Still in the red. Still in the red. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but at least we could see some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, and so from that point, it's, uh, it's a matter of, you know, continuing to focus on gathering assets for that strategy or that fund. Yeah. Um, well, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, take the conversation, uh, you know, public versus private. We talk a lot about private funds and starting like an alternative investment fund. And that's a very different business that you're starting than, you know, to start a financial advisory business with, you know, publicly registered products. Um, so I'd like to dive into a little bit that process of getting a publicly registered product. I know you guys went and rang the bell in the New York Stock Exchange. That was earlier this year, right? It was a NASDAQ. Or NASDAQ. NASDAQ that's yes. right. Uh, you know, talk to me about that process of, you know, establishing a public product. Sure. Um, it's a lot of work, uh, but it's, it's a fun challenge. So we work with a, with a group that's called the Series Trust. And um, probably much like what your company does in helping people structure funds and understanding the process to do that. We work with a group that has been doing this for 32 years. And so that helps a lot because in kind of in place already, you have the legal structure, you have the independent board of directors, which you have to have. You have um, a bank or an administration group that does the accounting and the transfer agent and the administration, and then you have your outside legal counsel, and then you have your outside compliance group, and then you have, um, I know I'm missing two or three other, oh, for the ETFs, you have to have your outside lead market maker, and you have to have your outside author, authorized, authorized participant group. And so you have, it's like a giant a la carte menu you have to put together in order just to structure a fund um, together. So, you know, it, it starts with finding a group that a, you can work with or just building it out a hundred percent on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, and we decided early on to work with a group that could help us structure it. Um, and we really did that for one reason. It wasn't because of the ease of use. It was because it gave us instant credibility when we went to go to the Schwab's and the Fidelities of the world to say, 
hey, put my fund on your platform. Yeah. And they would say, well, who are you? And we would say, well, we're part of this group. And they would say, oh, we already have an agreement with them. Okay, fine. Versus having to go and say, oh, we're Summit Global. You've probably never heard of us. We're just yeah. getting started here in 2011 with our mutual fund, but put us on your platform. And they right. would say, go to the back of the line. Yeah. Right? Hey guys, so if you wanna learn more about investment funds, uh, how they work, how they're structured, if you wanna become a fund manager, how I became a fund manager, visit our YouTube channel for more free value. The link is in the show notes. Thank you. So the process of starting the public product uh, is first of all, you have to do what's called a 15C. And this is like a giant RFP questionnaire that we need to fill out to present to this independent board of directors that we're going to, that are going to structure this public fund for us. Mm -hmm. And they're going to scrutinize it and they're going to question you on it. And they're going to ask you why in the world should they take their time to go down this road of putting something together? You know, um, how are you going to raise capital for it? What's your infrastructure to manage it? What's your compliance like? What's your operations like? What's your trading systems like? What's your portfolio management systems like? And you started this with just two million, right? Like you started this product, you had two million under management? When we started this product, we had two million under management when we went to the mutual fund group to start wow. our first fund. That is incredible. Do you wish you'd done it differently? Like you wish you would have waited later? Are you glad that you did it so early? We're glad we did it when we did it. Yeah. Um, because you go into something with, with, a, with, a goal, with a goal. Our goal was we wanted to raise capital and we wanted to raise money for, for our investment strategy. And at the time our thinking was, and to this day it's actually, the thinking hasn't really changed. How can we get a product out into the marketplace that we can attract capital to in hopefully the path of least resistance? Yeah. And so in our minds, back in 2010, 2011, that was a mutual fund. And, you know, a mutual fund allows you to get distribution from a variety of channels. Um, you know, people that have a brokerage account can buy your fund. People that have an investment account somewhere. So the distribution again opens, the, it, opens up extensively. Yeah, the distribution really kind of opened up that door to us in order to get our product into a lot of hands instead of a few hands. Now, what are the fees? You said you were, you were talking about doing this by yourself or doing it with an established group. Obviously, you're glad you did it with an established group. Was that just like a monthly services fee that you were paying them for that? Or do they actually own a part of your product? Or, or you know, what does that structure look like? Right, so um, with, a, with a publicly traded fund, like a mutual fund or an ETF, um, you have certain partners that do provide the fund certain services. Mm -hmm. And so you have, um, you have an administrator that is usually a bank, like a, a U.S. bank. That's who we work with. Mm -hmm. And so U.S. bank acts as our administrator and transfer agent and custodian for the assets. And so we pay them a fee. Whether we have assets or not, we pay them a fee. Um, based upon the asset level, you know, it's a varying level. And everything's in, in the prospectus that we talk about here. Uh, we also have to work with an outside compliance group that oversees us from an, from an outside regulatory perspective. Um, so there's a cost there. We also have to... And they had all these partners lined up. And so what was nice is they had all those partners yeah. lined up already. Gotcha. Whereas in a private fund, 
we had to go find those partners. So we went to U.S. Bank with their administration for the private fund, but we had to then go out and find our own prime broker, yeah. our own legal services, our own auditor. And that's what, that's you're spot on. So we do the same thing that, you know, you're talking about except on the private world. Right. Yeah. And so uh, we found the private fund to be much easier to structure. Yeah. Um, a, because we'd done it already. Yeah. And we, we knew the kind of the, the moving pieces and we had the infrastructure to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's interesting. You have probably about nine to 10 different groups that you're working with in a public fund that are providing some type of service to that fund that you're paying regardless of whether or not you have money in that fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crazy. So Bryce, talk to me. You, uh, you're, you've gone from 2 million to 2 billion under assets, you know, very successful firm, but I know you've got some serious growth objectives, uh, you know, over the coming five, 10 years. Uh, talk to me about what, what, what does Summit Global look like? You know, what do you want it to look like 10 years from now? In five years from now, we want to have probably around four to 500 investment advisors that work for the firm and we want to manage $25 billion. So that's, that's the clear cut goal. And uh, we know that the way that we get there is by bringing in more investment advisors um, and also bringing in more investment professionals that have very specific investing skills for the different funds that we offer. And we, we know that even at 25 billion, there will be holes in our lineup that we'll need to go to outside experts and continue to work with. And so the path is, is clear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting there is very messy. Right. In any type of business, you know, <laughs> growth growth is messy, um, but it it's more enjoyable, and it's it's really to be able to continue this growth pattern to to bring out more funds and to have more strategies internally uh, that we can manage and offer to our clients, to our investment advisors, and to outside investment advisors. And um, what's great about that is it, it, provides, it provides a level of customization that we can do for every client, but it also provides us the ability to attract other partners or other groups that we may not know today. And you know other funds that we may get introduced to that can fit into a client's you know, overall portfolio. Um, the world's becoming, as we're getting kind of tighter from a, I think from a technology perspective, things are getting even more fragmented from an investing perspective. Um, you know, there's so many opportunities of ways to invest, but it's how do you feel comfortable doing that? Mm -hmm. And we feel that having a fund structure internally makes that more palatable for our clients than ideas. And we're gonna go put money into ideas. It gives them a structure that shows them on a statement you know, here's how something's actually performing. Right. So Bryce, to somebody who is just starting out in the industry, you know, just getting their footing, just getting going, what is, what's something you wish you knew when you were just getting started that you know now? What I wish I knew was how hard it was going to be. Um, and I think my naivety actually helped me. Yeah. Um, but it also made for a lot of frustration. Mm -hmm. because it was, it's hard. It's hard to raise money. It's hard to, um, 
get an individual, an institution, a company, a corporation comfortable with them turning over some of their assets to you. Yeah. And, um, and so that, that's something I wish I knew that I would have focused on more earlier because we focused a lot on the structure, how we're going to set this up, um, how we're going to get the back office working with the front office, uh, compliance, all these other things that need to be done. Um, but I would have, I would have benefited from focusing more on how are we going to raise the capital? Yeah. So no, I love that. You know, so many, when you look at businesses, so many, when people are starting a business, they, they first go to getting a website and back office infrastructure and, you know, the whole product, the whole structure, the whole strategy, everything thought through, you know, soup to nuts. When in reality, the best thing that they can do is just go get a sale, right? You go generate revenue, focus on revenue generating items. And in the asset management world, that's raising money. And, right. uh, you know, I think that's, I think that's great advice to someone uh, just getting started. Uh, Bryce, a couple of quick uh, personal questions as we wrap up here. Um, you know, what habits, uh, they can be professional or business habits. Uh, that, what habits do you have that have attributed to your success? That's a good question. Um, personally, I spend probably a good chunk of my free time, whether that's in the car on the way to work, on airplanes, staying very relevant as to what's happening in my marketplace. Hmm. Um, because every day I have conversations with, whether it's the advisors that work with us, whether it's the clients that we have, whether it's the investment team, um, or just even internally, but it's understanding exactly what's happening today. Uh, because people's questions are not what happened yesterday, but what's happening today and tomorrow. Yeah, and so really understanding the marketplace that that I'm in, and that uh, my clients' money or my my clients' assets are invested in, really understanding what's happening, I think has helped me personally, um, and then having having a greater kind of window, looking out as to what I feel might be happening going forward, and so I find that uh, at times in my career. You can spend time kind of really hyper-focused on what you're involved in right now. And I think that's important to have that focus, but it's also incredibly important to understand what's gonna be happening next. What do I want to happen next? Or what, what needs to happen next is even more important. What needs to happen next? And so kind of having that thought process always of what needs to happen next? Because we can all get bogged down in what we're doing right now a lot. And so I think that's been a tr you know part of what attributes to the ongoing success is really looking at what happen ne what needs to happen next. Hmm. You mentioned uh, you like to stay up to date. What sources uh, do you like? Do you prefer to digest your content? Are there specific podcasts, news sure. sources? Where do you get it? Right. So um, we have six Bloomberg terminals. Okay. At work, and so. Bloomberg's an incredible overload of information mm -hmm. um, and it's headlines that will scroll on your screen all day long. Um, so I find that I'm picking things off off of that. But anytime I have a conversation with like my wife or someone at work, it usually starts out with I was reading an article in the journal. Mm. So the Wall Street Journal is probably my biggest kind of, you know, go to. 
source of uh, you know what I'm looking at, but it, it doesn't really it it kind of it branches off from there to um, you know different podcasts about industry, um, you know markets, and just business in general. But I I enjoy learning about that. Um, it's I would call it a hobby, mm-hmm. even though that's my job. Yeah. Um, but I, I enjoy it as a hobby as well. So I would say that's how I really keep up to date is just in that free time, um, which, you know, it's whether it's an hour in my car or it's three hours on the plane, it's just understanding what's going on in the world right now, what's driving it. Because um, we know that markets are driven by, you know, a few things. It's the earnings quality of a company, you know, it's earning seasons right now. Yeah. That drives a marketplace, it's geopolitical issues that drive the marketplace. I look at Israel right now in Palestine. Um, obviously before that it was Ukraine and Russia and maybe it'll go back to that. It's what's happening in Congress today. Yeah. And the number one driver is what is the Fed doing? What are they talking about? What's next? You know, you, you kind of figure out those four things. You have a pretty good idea of probably what's going to happen. All right, Bryce, you brought it up. So now I got to ask, uh, what is the, what, 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 you know, we're in a high interest rate environment right now. What's the Fed's next move? Are interest rates going to be higher for longer? What's your crystal ball telling you? Um, unfortunately, the crystal ball probably says rates are here higher for longer. Um, how much higher? You know, the 10 year just went over five. You know, this crazy. Past week. Yeah, it is crazy. That is crazy to me. It is crazy. Um, it is crazy. So really kind of feel that we're probably in this higher, higher interest rate environment for longer. How much longer is that? Um, definitely until a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that wasn't the case and hopefully maybe the tea leaves change and we start to see something different happening. Um, is the fed done hiking? I don't know. We just got a number today. On, on growth and it was 4.9%. And that's a scary number. That is well above what the Fed wants to see. Yeah. And so, you know, the Fed, what do they have at their disposal? Well, we can raise rates. Um, will they do that again? Obviously my crystal ball can't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew, but yeah, rates, rates are here for longer. Um, I, unfortunately, I think that means probably we're gonna see more unemployment. The unemployment number has to go higher, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the nature of the beast, and that's what the Fed can control. They can control that by what they're doing on the rates. So, probably higher unemployment, longer rates. Yep, love it. I agree. Um, okay, what about? Uh, do you have any business or personal pet peeves? Things that just drive you crazy. You know, when someone says, "I'll get right back to you," uh-huh. and they don't, just a pet peeve. You know, if you're going to tell me you're going to get back to me, then get back to me. If you're not going to get back to me, just don't even say you're going to get back to me. Just say, yeah. bye. Yep. You know, I, I, I know what to expect, right? Um, so follow-up is a huge pet peeve of mine. And I'm, I'm conscious of it when I tell someone I'm going to do something for them. I don't always get it done at that exact time, yeah. but I'll make sure I get it done. Right. So if you say you're going to follow up with someone, just follow up. Yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not rocket science. We all have the ability to do it, um, you know. So it's kind of that you know don't overpromise, underdeliver. Right. I think it's just hey, I'm going to get that to you. Yeah. 
I didn't tell you when I'm going to get it to you, but you know, you know, it's going to come. Right. Right. And so it, it'll, it'll get to you. Um, that's probably, that, that's one in business. Um, another pet peeve is in our industry, there's a lot of people that I feel there's a lot of people that put themselves out as being a certain way, a certain fiduciary standard in our industry. We're held to a, to a fiduciary standard with right. the licenses that we, that we, that we hold. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm meeting with a, with a new client, I have, I have a few of my own clients that I, that I, that I work with mm-hmm. independently. And when I get introduced to a new client and I see what they own in their portfolio, it's really frustrating when they own things that are completely unsuitable for them. Yeah. It just, it really, it really irks me because I know there was someone previous that put them into that or sold them that thing, whatever mm-hmm. it was, that insurance product, that annuity, that investment, that, you know, whatever that investment was. And, uh, and so I, I get really internally annoyed that I have to now explain to someone why they shouldn't be owning that. Hmm. When someone explained to them why they should and sold them something they shouldn't own. Gotcha. That's great. Bryce, thank you for being so generous with your time today. Great conversation. Really appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing, sharing your wisdom. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Lincoln. All information shared are the sole thoughts and opinions of the author. Do not take any information as legal or financial advice. You should seek a certified accountant and a professional legal team before taking any further action. We are not selling or soliciting a security in any way, shape, or form. This content is for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as financial or legal advice. Clients of Fund Launch or Black Card Capital Partners may maintain positions and securities discussed on this podcast.